0: For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. We're talking about the reverential fear of God. This is lesson two this morning. And quickly, just a quick review. We talked about this is the whole duty of man according to Solomon. That has to fear the Lord and keep his commandments. According to Vine's expository dictionary of New Testament words... We are told it's to be a controlling motive of one's life in matters spiritual as well as moral. It's also a wholesome dread of displeasing God in any way. That's something that we all need to possess, a wholesome dread of displeasing God in any way. We're told in Proverbs, it's the beginning of all knowledge. It's like the alphabet of knowledge. If we don't understand the fear of the Lord... We've yet begun to even look at the alphabet or the beginning, the construction of what true wisdom, knowledge, and understanding are all about. As we continue our study, this is Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 13. Notice what it says in the NIV translation of the Bible. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. Is he holy? He sure is, isn't he? He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. And we talked about this being a reverential fear, a holy awe that we have of God. But notice what he says. Doesn't make much sense. We're not afraid of God. He's not talking about fear like a natural fear. He's talking about a reverence for God, a holy awe of his wonder and the majesty of his person. That we understand who he is and who we are in his sight. Look in the book of Jeremiah. What it says in 32 and 39. And I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me for a short time. How long? Forever. For the good of them and of their children after them. Notice, we are to consider him holy. We are to fear him and dread him and consider that this is for our own good. And it's not just for our good, but for the good of our children as well. You know, we go back and we look at the history of Israel. We find out that from one generation to the next generation, they fell away from God. Why? Could it be that they were not being taught, that is the next generation being taught the fear of God? And so they lived their lives the way they wanted to live their lives. They did what they wanted to do because they didn't fear God. If we don't pass it down from one generation to the next, then there will not be a holy reverence for God, a holy awe of God in the consciousness of our young people. Now, some teachers even today say it it this way. You know what? They teach that God is to be feared in the Old Testament, but we're living in a New Testament. God is to be loved in the New Testament because, you see, Jesus came and he taught us the love of God. I agree with that. But you know what else is true? God never changes. He's always the same. If he was to be feared in the Old Testament, he's to be feared in the New Testament. So we could say it this way. We are to love him as we fear him. We are to fear him as we love him. And it's for our own good. It's for our own benefit. And of course, for our children after us. To have this holy awe of God. This reverential fear of God. We see him in such a holy way that as Isaiah cowered before him, not that he was afraid of him in that sense, But he had such respect for him, stood in such awe of him. And when he heard the angels crying out, holy, 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 it dropped him to his knees. Yes, he recognized his own shortcomings and faults. We understand that. And God took care of that with the coal from off the altar. But the point is, when we're in the presence of a living God like that, my goodness, holy awe should exist. And it should be a controlling you know, motive of our lives. Remember on the Isle of Patmos when John was caught up and all of a sudden Jesus appeared to him? What happened to him? Straight down, on his knees, on his face before God. A holy awe overtook him. Uh, Look in the uh, book of Leviticus. The fear of the Lord is not an enemy. The fear of the Lord is a friend to all of us. And we should all basically develop it in our own lives and we're going to talk about that in just a little bit but in the book of leviticus this is the sons of aaron uh nadab and abihu different ways to pronounce it but we'll just settle for that there this was their inaugural uh, participation in a sacrifice that was offered to the lord let's read what it says after that Aaron raised his hands toward the people and blessed them then after presenting the sin offering the burnt offering and the peace offering he stepped down from the altar then Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle and when they came back out they blessed the people again and the glory of the Lord appeared to the whole community fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar When the people saw this, they shouted with joy and fell face down on the ground. So can you imagine that scene? Can you imagine if we brought an altar in here, if we were under the old covenant and set it up right here. And we put a sacrificial lamb or whatever animal to sacrifice to God. And then maybe prayed some kind of prayer like, oh, Jehovah, we place this offering before you as a sin offering. As a burnt offering, as a peace offering. Would you accept this? Is it pleasing to you? Confirm that to your own. And all of a sudden, the glory of the Lord appears. All of a sudden, fire just bursts from the glory. Consumes the sacrifice right before their eyes. What an amazing sight. Right before our eyes. For anyone to behold or to see. Nadab and Abihu, these two sons of Aaron, were able to see this. This was their inaugural service of worship before the Lord. They saw God manifest himself in a tangible way. They could tell their offspring. I've seen the glory of the living God with my own two eyes. I saw the fire of God come out from the glory. I watched it burn up, the sacrifice. Don't tell me God doesn't exist. He's alive. He exists. But you know what? Let's read chapter 10, the first three verses. That same day, Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons, took their censers, put hot coals and incense in them, and offered strange fire to God. Something God had not commanded. Fire blazed out from God. And consumed them. They died in God's presence. Moses said to Aaron. This is what God meant when he said. To the one who comes near me. I will show myself holy. Before all the people. I will show my glory. Aaron was silent. Oh my. 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 Aaron's two boys, their oldest, decided we're going to do it the way we want to do it. We're going to worship the way we want to worship. You know, this is just child's play here. It doesn't matter how we do it. We can do it any way we want to do it. So come on, man. We saw that happen before. Let's just go ahead and do it. Let's just offer this fire. You know, by the way, that fire came from God. It's called a holy flame, a holy fire. Can you imagine that manifestation of fire that came down like even in the days of Elijah? Even when others were consumed by that fire, it's a holy flame. It's a holy fire. We have man-made fire. You could make a fire, burn a sacrifice if you want. It's not like a God-made fire. There's a big difference. And they thought, well, we'll just go do what we want to do, man. This is I don't know what they were thinking. But they were doing something that God didn't command. They were doing it the way they wanted to do it, not God's way. And when people do it their own way and not God's way, It doesn't please him. You might think, well, that's kind of harsh. Well, let's put it this way. Anybody here deal with electricity? I think you do. It's a good thing. It heats your home. It cools your home. Air conditions it. You cook your meals. Maybe you do your laundry with a machine that is electrically run. Try your clothes the same way. Your appliances work with electricity. And the list goes on and on. And so we consider it a good thing, but we also have respect for it because we know if we handle it incorrectly, what can it do to us? It can kill us, right? We use smoke detectors at night because we're sleeping and there might be electrical fire. Maybe there's a faulty wire or something like that. So we want to be on our guard to see to it that we're protected even while we're asleep. So we take precautions because we know there's a danger there. Do you know there's a danger to act outside of God's command? To do things our way and not his way. And Nadab and Abihu found out the hard way. It wasn't that God killed them. They intruded into a place they didn't belong. And they were doing it the way they wanted to do it. Do you know, when it comes to even the, the place we hold in the body of Christ, he's the one who orchestrates and facilitates the body of Christ. He's the one that puts it together, not us. And we want to do things God's way. That's why when he says, I have given some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the purpose of uh, the edifying of the body of Christ, the building of it up, etc., etc., we want to do it God's way. Not to intrude into any office that God doesn't ordain. So, these two find out the hard way that God wasn't in what they were doing and they died before the Lord. Now, in Romans chapter 3 and verse 18, to bring it up to our speed when it comes to the way we live our lives upon the earth, look at this verse. This will really answer some questions for us. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Who's he talking about? You read the first three chapters of the book of uh, Romans and you find out he's talking about Gentiles. And he's talking about Jews. Those without the law and those with the law. And he says, because there's no fear of God before their eyes... They do things the way they want to do things. They live the way they want to live. They act the way they want to act and so on and so forth. And God had to show them through the Apostle Paul and others that that's not the right way to live. And that's not the right way to do things. As a matter of fact, the Gentiles in Adam are sinners. The Jews in Adam are sinners. And I think in Romans somewhere 3.23 it says, All have sinned. All have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. Isn't that true? Absolutely. And so, he's making that clear. He's making that known to them that all have sinned. And when there's no fear of God before the eyes of man, he will live his life with reckless abandon. And when there's no fear of God before the eyes of even those that have the law, they'll do things their way, thinking that they're justified in the way they're doing it. Even though they're not keeping the law. So let's read... And I want to do this from Romans chapter 1. This is from the New Living Translation of the Bible. What Paul told all these individuals. You ready for it? Because I guarantee you, I would love to have a platform and just to read this at some presidential meeting before all the nation. And just say, let's look at this. Let's do it. Remember, verse 17, he's not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God, the salvation to the Jew and to the Greek, right? But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. And through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Did you hear that? They have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. Hmm. Wow. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex with uh, sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that they should never have should never done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior and gossip. They are backbiters, haters of God, insolent, proud and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning. How about that one? I think we've figured out it new recently, don't you? Yeah, uh, what do you have, a boy or a girl? Um, an it. <laughs> and when they find out what they are, then we'll, we'll let you know. And they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand. They break their promises. They're heartless, have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself for you who judge others do, the, do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Now, going down to the next three verses, 11 through For God does not show favoritism when the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. So what is his argument? What is he saying here? He's talking to the Gentiles. He's talking to the Jews. To the Gentile, you have no excuse to live the way you're living. Because if you were to just to look in nature and your conscience, you would know that God exists and you should seek his face. And to the Jew, just because you have the law, doesn't make you any better than anybody else. If you don't keep the law, you're just as guilty as the Gentile who doesn't have the law. So what is he trying to do? He's trying to show them that, look, there's only one way to approach God. There's only one way to please God. There's only one sacrifice that can get you into heaven's doors. And whose sacrifice is that? So the Gentiles need Jesus and the Jews need Jesus because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's what he's trying to communicate. There's no fear of God before their eyes because they don't see him high and lifted up. They don't see him full of glory. They don't see his train filling the temple and the angels crying holy. They don't see him in that light. And he presents him that way. Now, Why should we fear God? Once again, the fear of the Lord is a friend, not an enemy. Number one, we should fear God. Look at Deuteronomy 10 because it's required of us. And now Israel, what does the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God. Notice how walking in the ways of the Lord begins with the fear of the Lord thy God to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord thy God with all your heart and with all your soul. It is a requirement. Say it with me. I'm required to fear the Lord. That means stand in awe of him and reverence of him. And also just have this wholesome dread of displeasing him in any way. That's what he's talking about. Number two, it's our duty. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12 again. Look at verses 13 and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Now, this is coming from a man who was considered to be probably very handsome, uh, good looking, very powerful, very wealthy. I guess, from what I understand, he was worth two trillion dollars. That's back in the day when a trillion dollars was a lot of money. You'll get that in just a moment. Two trillion dollars. I mean, he had how many women in his life? How many concubines? How many wives? Up to a thousand. I think around a thousand altogether. He was a man uh, full of power. He, he got involved in wine, women, wealth, building projects, uh, prestige, power, And the list goes on and on in this man's life. He did everything he possibly could to seek and find out how to pleasure himself in life. Guess what he concluded? I've concluded this fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. Wow. That's what he concluded. And you know, he had a bad history. and We pray, I pray he made it to heaven. Number three, Jesus' warning in Luke's gospel. Look at what it says here. Why should we fear God? And I say to you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell... Yea, I say unto you, fear him. In other words, if anyone is going to control our behavior, our lifestyle, our attitude, the way we think and all that, fear him. You know, we talk about things taking place in the political arena of our lives and we see what's taking place in our nation and all that. We see the undermining of God's uh, way of uh, putting the family together and marriages and all that. And then even with changing, you know, Genders and and all that sort of thing. It's just it's 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 so mind-boggling You never thought it would get to any degree like this. Did you think it would ever get to like this? You can't say my father. You can't say my mother. You got to say my parent You know, what's what's the world coming to the logic of man? What what is way man thinks? You know why they think that way? There's no fear of God When there's no fear of God then you do what you want to do you make laws the way you want to make your laws What we need to pray for is that that White House would be blanketed with the fear of the Lord. That there would be a blanket of the fear of God falling upon this earth like it has never fallen ever before and starting with the house of God. That we get to a place like when we gather together like this, we have such reverence for God, it matters what we do. You know... We're coming together as a body of Christ and we want to unite our hearts together as one. And we want to exalt the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And like this morning, we want him to show up. We want him to manifest his glory and his power. To save, to heal, to deliver, to set free, to impart to people the things that are necessary. Whether it's a breakers anointing or yoke destroying bodies breaking anointing. Whatever it might be. Whatever it is that there is an impartation of something that God can only give to somebody. Isn't that why we come to church? We come to church to learn about the living God. To grow in him. So we can walk in his ways. Keep his laws, his statutes and judgment. And to be reverent before his presence. And pass it on to the next generation. Yes, God is to be loved and God loves us. But God is to be also feared and reverenced and held in the highest esteem. Our biggest problem is with self. Wouldn't you agree? Look at the fourth reason. Hebrews chapter 12. Why fear God? Because he's still a consuming fire. Wherefore are we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved? Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably. How? How? With reverence and godly fear for our God, he's still a consuming fire. See, the day of grace is a wonderful thing that we live in, but it doesn't change God. Thank God for grace, which means it gives us more time to get things right. Aren't you glad we have more time to get things right? I'm glad I've got more time to get things right. Aren't you glad that you have more time to get things right before God? And notice all the things that he talked about there in the book of Romans. All those things that he put together as a a litany of, of the things that displeased God. And every one of us should look at those and just say, oh, my goodness. I want to walk upright and holy before the Lord in my life and honor him and hold him in the highest esteem. Now, how do I develop the fear of God? Well, since you asked the question, we'll give you a few hints. Number one, pray for it. Look in the book of Psalms, Psalms. 86 and verse 11. Add that to your prayer list. Has anybody here, uh, be honest with me, have you ever out in your prayer time said, I pray that I would have a revelation of the fear of the living God. Have you done that? Some of you have. Majority probably no. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Well, can you imagine that your morning devotion? Unite my heart to fear your name. In other words, when you go off to work and you're tempted to do something maybe you shouldn't do, remind yourself, I want to honor God. I want to please God. I want to conduct myself in such a way so as to bring glory to him and not do anything that would tarnish my testimony. Number two, study. And learn about it. Look at Psalm 34. We read some of these other verses. But maybe not in full context. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. Aren't you glad you've tasted? And you've seen the Lord is good? But then notice the admonition. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints. For there is no want to them that what? That fear him. Notice the foundation. For no want. We fear him. He goes on to say, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come ye children. See, what are you seeking here? Come ye children, hearken to me and I will teach you the fear of the Lord can be taught. What man is he that desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips From speaking Guile. Oh. Now, why did he have to say that? Are you with me on that one? Seriously? Is that the first thing you've got to say about teaching me how to fear the Lord is to keep my tongue from evil and my lips from speaking Guile? Does it all go back to the tongue? Does it all go back to our lips? Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord upon the righteous, his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. So once again, it can be taught. And notice how if we really have this reverential fear for God, if we're united to the fear of God, it'll affect our speech. That's something to think about, isn't it? Keep my tongue from evil and my lips from speaking guile. The next one, practice it. We're not going to perfect anything if we don't practice it. But look here in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 21. And once again, sometimes these scriptures elude us, but look at what it says. Submitting yourselves one to another in the what? What motivates a person to submit? The fear of God. If a person doesn't fear God, they won't submit. Our government will never submit to the laws of God as long as they don't fear God. But once there is a fear of God introduced to them and they see God in a proper light, that fear of God, which is what our forefathers had, enabled them to write up a constitution that would honor God and meet the needs of the people. That's why we've got to pray. May there be a revelation of the fear of God in our government and that will take care of the rest. May there be a revelation of the fear of God in our church and that will take care of a lot. May there be the fear of God in our family, in our individual lives. And oh my goodness, you talk about change. Now notice this. Submit. Now look at the areas of submission. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22, 25 and chapter 6 and verse 1, practice it in the home. Practicing submission in the home. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Keep them going. Next one, husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So now we've got wives in submission. We've got husbands in submission to God. We've got children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. There's submission there. That's the fear of God. See, a child won't fear that doesn't fear God is not going to do anything as far as obeying a parent. They're going to live the way they want to live. But if there's a fear of God, that's going to change their attitude and change their behavior. Same thing in marriage, same thing with children, but then also look in the workplace. Chapter 6, look at verses 5 and 6. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Submission in the workplace is a result of the fear of God. And you work hard for your employer. Because you fear God and you're doing it as unto the Lord. So you see, we practice this in these areas of our lives. We develop the fear of the Lord and we start, start walking uprightly before him in all areas of our lives. The next one in our daily living. Oh, I'm sorry, in our government. And this is one I know that's sometimes challenged, but look at this. Let every soul be subject, submission, unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resists the proud, resists the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation or judgment. And so what is he saying? We submit ourselves to the to the rules of our government, to the laws of the land, as long as they don't violate the laws of God. But if they violate the laws of God, that's a different story. Look at the next one Uh, in our daily living, our daily living. Second uh, Corinthians chapter seven, verse one. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit perfecting holiness, what's the motivation? In the fear of God. How does one perfect holiness? Out of the fear of God. So if we don't fear God, we're not going to perfect holiness. There'll be no motivation to perfect holiness or to walk uprightly before the Lord. To listen to what he has to say. Basically do our own thing. What about this one? This is one that's a little bit unusual, but let's check it out. Genesis chapter 9 and verse 2. And the fear of you and dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea, into your hand are they delivered. In other words, if you want to learn how to cooperate with the fear of God, just look at animals and how they fear mankind. You can learn a lesson from that. Let that be a visual. You ever try to chase a bird? No, it's not going to happen. Okay, and look at these next two. And these are really to consider. Look at Isaiah 66, the first two verses. Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things have my hand made and all those things have been, saith the Lord, but to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit that trembles at my word. Wow. We hear a word from God and do what? Tremble. Wow. And then finally, Isaiah 66, 22-24. Check it out. For just as the new heavens and new earth that I am making will stand firm before me, God's decree, this is from the Message Bible, so will your children and your reputation stand firm. Month after month and week by week, everyone will come to worship me, God says. Boy, isn't that great right there? Are you glad you'll be a part of that company that will worship him day by day, week by week? And then... They'll go from his presence. They'll go out and look at what happened to those who rebelled against me. Corpses, maggots, endlessly eating away on them. An endless supply of fuel for fires. Everyone who sees what's happened and smells the stench stench wretches. Whoa. Whoa. Hold on just a moment. You remember when Jesus talked about hell? And he talked about outer darkness. He talked about they will be weeping, willing, gnashing of teeth. Where the worm dieth not, and the fire is never quenched. Remember he talked about that? Nothing we want to be a part of, right? And if you remember when Bill, I believe Weiss or Weiss, had his 23 minutes in hell. We showed the video here about his 23 minutes in hell. Remember that? Yeah. Okay, maybe some of you don't. Some of you do. Where he spent 23 minutes in hell, and God gave him that experience, and saw all kinds of things that took place in hell, That absolutely scare that right out of you, without a doubt. But he showed him what it meant, that the worm dieth not, the fire's never quenched. He showed him an individual whose body, as that said, was being eaten with worms, maggots. But you see, in the natural world that we live in, if the maggots have nothing more to feed on, they die. They'll feed on your garbage until there's no more garbage, and then they die when it's gone. But there they feed on the body of the dead person and will continue feeding on it until they eat it all away. But then all of a sudden it magically appears once again and comes back. Eating the arm off, but the arm comes back and they eat it again. And it up over and over and over and over and over and over and endless eating of the flesh of the person that's in that place. Because the worm never dies. But then the fire is never quenched and he saw an individual running and then all of a sudden set a blaze of fire. Their body, that was at that time, uh, you know, the resurrected body that was uh, going to be eternally living, but dying, and that person's body just being burnt over and over again, and then coming back and burnt, and coming back and burnt, where the fire's never quenched, where the worm dies not. Can you imagine that as one's eternal existence? Whew. I would think that that would cause someone to think twice about where they want to spend their eternal living. Because we're living in the land of the dying, and when we die, where do we go? To the land of the living, and we're going to either live in the presence of God and see his glory forever, or live in that place called eternal suffering forever. Wow. What motivation should we have? I've said this a long time ago that my father, um, he scared me into the kingdom by telling me about this future. I was smart enough to say, okay, I hear it. Look in Job chapter 1. When a person doesn't fear God, there's no motivation to obey God. You see, fearing God and obeying God go hand in hand. Job was someone that God bragged about. Look look what he says. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting on... That's supposed to be verse 8. Can we pull up verse 8 instead of 18? Is that, is that what you have there? Okay. Eight? It's supposed to be eight. Job one eight. What, what God basically said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job who fears me and eschews evil? Look at, and the Lord said unto Satan, hast thou considered my servant Job that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that fears God? Notice the first thing he says about him. The very first thing he says about Job is that he feared God and escheweth evil, departs from evil. And then, notice in the book of Revelation, here's another motivation we all should have. And the 20, or four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye servants and ye that fear him, both small and great. Have you ever put together and seen so much about the fear of the Lord throughout all the Bible? How powerful this teaching is on really speaking to the heart of every individual, letting us all know who in the world are we? Who are we? Servants of the Lord. Compared to eternity. Think about it. We're like a speck on the earth. But we're so important to God. He gave his life for us. You're not going to get people to do what needs to be done. Unless they start fearing God. When people start fearing God. Truly fearing God. It will modify behavior. You want to tell that kid, you need to stop your drinking, you need to stop the drugs, you need to stop this, that, that, until you feed them the fear of God. There's not going to be the motivation to do the right thing. And so that's why let's stand together and I am praying for us as a people, as a church, as a nation, to have a revelation of the fear yes. of God. Yes, sir. Um, Isaiah 11.1 the spirit of wisdom understanding counsel might knowledge and the fear of the Lord would be upon the Messiah Mm -hmm. think about that Mm -hmm. the spirit of the Lord and of wisdom understanding counsel might knowledge and the fear of the Lord be upon even the Messiah Jesus walked in the fear of the Lord before his father how much more should we this is an individual thing you do it yourself the way you want to But I pray as an individual, unite me to your fear. May I consciously be aware every day of my life to fear you above man, above government, above anything and everything else in this life. Above death, because death cannot eternally destroy me if I know you. So Father, may this fear fall upon our nation a godly reverential fear for who you are that man would not take it upon himself to make laws that violate your laws may us may we once again as a nation dear father honor your commandments your ten commandments and may they be the foundational principles upon which our laws are based as a society that you would be glorified in the earth glorified in this nation glorified in our government and glorified in the lives of the people in our schools in our school system Oh Father, may there be a manifestation of the spirit, of the knowledge, of the fear of the Lord upon our nation once again. Hallelujah. In our churches, in our families, in our individual lives, unite us to your fear. Teach us the fear of the Lord. To keep our tongues from evil and our lips from speaking God that we would honor you in our thoughts, our words, and our deeds Hallelujah that when we gather together like this a holy fire goes out from your presence among us to consume our sacrifice so that your glory would manifest in a glorious and powerful way as you save the lost heal the sick and set the captives free established destinies in the lives of people restored their Father God families and relationships hallelujah